I'd like to invite you either to turn to Luke 6 in whatever device or Bible you have, or to turn to a pew Bible um, to page 837. <clears throat> we are working our way through a sermon that Jesus gave to those who called themselves disciples of Jesus, to the 12 that Jesus had recently chosen to be his apostles, and to a large crowd that was gathering and listening to Jesus. And we are up to the section beginning with verse 37 through verse 42, a section that in some ways I could simply read and then invite you to turn to two others and discuss and then pray about and apply. Jesus is very, very clear in what he says in these verses, and I do not want my words to take away this morning from what is clear and what is obvious. Would you join me in a prayer before I read this with you? Lord, your Holy Spirit is given that we would understand your word, be brought to your perfect goodness, Lord Jesus, and in the power of the Spirit, apply your word in the most difficult relationships that we have. May that be so for each of us this morning, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. For those of you new to this community, I would like to ask that you not walk out at this point. My talk will be full of God's mercy, because otherwise, who of us can stand? God is merciful. The God who created each of us in his image is merciful. And he placed within us the capacity to reflect his mercy. God demonstrates 
his mercy. Despite knowing the depth of our sin, he shows his mercy to us. In Psalm 78, Asaph, the chief musician in David's courts in the Old Testament, recounts the many times God showed his mercy to his people after pointing to how God delivered his people again and again and again. Asaph writes words appropriate also to us. Follow along. Then they, the people of God, remembered when God had done this kindness and demonstrated his mercy. Then they remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they and we were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. God is merciful because of our many sins, our flattery, our lying, our disloyalty, our unfaithfulness to God's covenant. We deserve God's anger. We deserve the full extent of his wrath. Instead, God is merciful. He forgives our sins through the sacrifice of Christ. He does not destroy us, but saves those who believe in him. In many places in the New Testament, as well as the Old, we read of the full extent of God's mercy demonstrated through Jesus Christ. For example, in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, we read these words. But because of his great love for us, let me just fix this here, so I don't... But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. As we journey together through the book of Luke and Acts, God will show us through the witness of Luke the depth of God's mercy demonstrated by Jesus, a demonstrated mercy that transforms lives, that has the capacity to transform our lives. Many of you know here the depths of God's mercy demonstrated. Many of you here have experienced and embraced the mercy of God demonstrated through the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins. In this passage that I just read, Jesus is commanding the disciples he has called 
the apostles he has chosen, the people who are listening to practice his mercy in all of their relationships, in all our relationships. This call to be merciful is what Jesus teaches, equips, and then empowers by the Holy Spirit his disciples to practice. We have no excuse if we do not practice God's mercy. This morning, as we prepare to celebrate in communion the great demonstration of God's mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, I want to look with you at the words Jesus speaks in the passage I read to train and equip us to practice God's mercy. Jesus speaks this passage, as I mentioned, as part of a sermon that covers much of Luke 6. Jesus has called these disciples to him, has after time of prayer selected the twelve who after his death and resurrection and ascension would bear witness to Christ and form the first beginnings of the church. And Jesus has now come to this level place where he is healing people in the power of the Spirit and in the power of the Spirit now teaching them what he expects them to practice of the character of God as people who have been brought near to Jesus and are called to live as part of his kingdom. I urge you to go online to listen to the first two parts of this sermon as pastors Andrew and Andrea brought them to you. The teaching and equipping that Jesus provides in this section offers us two exercises. Two exercises by which we might practice God's mercy. The first exercise relates to how we treat others. The second exercise relates to how we see ourselves. In the passage that I brought for you, Jesus has said, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. It is clear that Jesus is speaking of himself as the teacher. Those whom he has called to be his disciples, his followers, he trains to be like him in their practice of God's mercy. Let's look closely now at how he trains us. First of all, in how we treat others, let's look at this exercise. In Luke 6, verses 37 and 38, which you can look at, Jesus gives four measurable commands to practice God's mercy related to our treatment of others. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Forgive and give. Let's look at each one of these briefly. Do not judge. Literally, this means stop judging. This is not speaking of a judge in a courtroom. Rather, he is saying, stop finding fault 
in others. Stop measuring the faults of others, questioning their motives according to whatever standards you are applying. Jesus knows we do this. That is why he says, stop doing this. This judging is exactly what the Pharisees and religious leaders did to Jesus all the time finding fault, questioning his motives. They became so worked up into a frenzy that they ended up killing him who came to demonstrate God's mercy. Jesus tells us to stop judging, to stop finding fault in others. Knowing his teaching and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus believes we can stop this practice as we exercise what he says. Do not condemn. Again, the phrase is actually stop condemning. This is different than judging. In Romans 8 verse 1, Paul says to Christians, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemning is that attitude in us where we place another person beyond the mercy of God. That's why for me I remember becoming a Christian. Romans 8 verse 1 meant so much because I realized I was not beyond the mercy of God. But condemning is when we place others beyond the mercy of God beyond the possibility of God's mercy. The Pharisees did this well. As tax collectors and sinners gathered around Jesus, the Pharisees would say things like they did to this one woman, a sinner who was weeping and anointing Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Truly, she was seen as a woman beyond God's mercy. When you and I condemn others, we are displaying a haughty posture that demonstrates that we think we are somehow more worthy of God's mercy than another. Jesus says, stop that. Stop doing that. I have taught you. I have empowered you. Stop that. Practice. Exercise. Stop condemning. Forgive. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has already demonstrated to a paralyzed man lowered through a roof by his friends into a crowded room his power to forgive sins. In Luke 5, we read of his authority and the Pharisees' tendency to judge Jesus. We read, when Jesus saw the faith of these four men and the friend as he was lowered, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? 
which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus forgives sins. Jesus sacrificed his life to forgive our sins. He calls us to forgive others. He empowers us by the Holy Spirit. So we can give. From the context, the word give here is a giving that demonstrates God's mercy. He then gives an explanation from the harvest or from the farming uh, context around them. Give like one giving you grain, uh, a good measure. That, that then is pressed down in the measuring cup and shaken to fill in the edges, running over and poured into your lap. This was the kind of merciful giving. If you know the story in the book of Ruth, that Boaz, the son of a prostitute, gave to Ruth, a Moabite widow in a foreign land. In that story, Boaz pours grain into Ruth's lap to demonstrate God's mercy to her, saying to her, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when Ruth did so, Boaz poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Such is the giving that Jesus commands us to do. This giving reflects the abundant, lavish generosity of God's mercy. In Ephesians 1, verse 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul writes, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. This lavish generosity is how God gives. He teaches us to do the same. He empowers us by the Holy Spirit to practice such giving that demonstrates his mercy. Stop judging. Stop condemning. Forgive give. Jesus commands us to practice these demonstrations of God's mercy in our treatment of others. But, but I want you to notice something else about these commands. There is a progressive flow as Jesus trains us and teaches us and equips us and empowers us to exercise these four practices of God's mercy. First, the Spirit of God begins to rebuke us when we judge the actions and motives of others. Many of you have experienced this rebuking work of the Holy Spirit even in the very midst of you doing it. He then empowers us to stop. No, we say, I am dead to the sin for which Christ died. I am going to stop this judging I am doing. The Spirit of God then rebukes us in our treatment of those in need of his mercy 
when we want to put them outside the capacity of receiving God's mercy. When we think of someone, when we think someone is beyond God's mercy, the Spirit empowers us to stop condemning. Now we say to ourselves, I am no better than that person. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on them. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then the Spirit of God leads us to forgive those who have done wrong to us and to others. He then takes us a step further and empowers us to show extravagant, lavish giving to those who deserve God's anger and God's wrath because we know we do too. All this leads to a life of demonstrating God's mercy. Jesus finishes this section with a warning. The measure you use will be measured to you. Those who have experienced God's mercy demonstrated through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ are being trained, equipped, and empowered by Jesus to show his mercy. Those who have not experienced God's mercy don't show his mercy. We will see this theme repeated again and again in the Gospel of Luke. Let me give you a personal word of application. Jesus has been training me to exercise these four practices of God's mercy for many decades. Stop judging, stop condemning, forgive freely, give generously. When I find myself judging or condemning, the Spirit of God quickly rebukes me, often I am led to repentance. Many of you have heard me stop halfway in a sentence with you or the next day come back to you saying what I was starting to say or what I said was not of God. It was sin. Will you forgive me? Two weeks ago, I said to the Mahabit Church, the Iranian community that is in gospel partnership with us in a sermon, that if they ever heard something that was not of God come from my lips, they have permission to rebuke me. I have told the First Alliance community the same thing over the years that I have served in this community. As Jesus has been teaching, equipping, and empowering me to exercise these four practices of his mercy, I want to tell you a way God is transforming me in a way that I had not expected. I am finding that I am experiencing more and more abundance of God's mercy being poured into my life. The joy of God's demonstrated mercy in Jesus has never been greater in my life, particularly with respect to people that years ago I would have pulled away from. As God extends me to reach out to people who I know are judging me and others, condemning regularly, are unforgiving and easily offended, are stingy in their giving and living, I find myself leaning into their lives. Oh, I could tell you stories and my wife could tell you more. 
of how when I was younger, I would pull away from such people in ways that were not of God and were not helpful to those people. Now, I find myself leaning closer, not because of their goodness, but because of God's mercy growing in me. I have so many ways I yet need to change. But I'm quite excited about this work of the Spirit that he is doing. He's changing me in this area. He's making me to want more of what he wants to change in me. Stop judging. Stop condemning. Forgive and give. And he is doing this in your life too. And you will never get away from this work of Jesus because it's what he does. Many of you are experiencing this work of Jesus. This work of Jesus is not based on one kind of personality. It is what Jesus trains all his disciples to practice. With whatever personalities we have, whatever gifts we have, whatever cultures we're from, whatever callings he gives, wherever he places us in the course of a week. Jesus is training us to practice his mercy. God created us in his image to reflect his mercy. God demonstrated his mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Jesus says, stop judging. Stop condemning. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Give. Jesus believes we can. I mentioned that I wanted to consider two exercises that Jesus teaches, equips, and empowers us to practice related to God's mercy. The second exercise I only want to mention briefly relates to how we see ourselves. The first related to how we treat others, but how we see ourselves. Jesus begins the section in Luke 6, verse 39 through 42, by warning us of the danger of a blind person leading another blind person. Can a blind person lead the blind? Will they both not fall into the pit? Jesus is not speaking of the blindness of others. Oh, they're blind, they're blind, they're blind. He is speaking of the blindness we do not see in ourselves related to our own sin, but which God clearly sees. And if I can add that sometimes others see in us too. Jesus then shows from this passage how this blindness shows up in our lives. We see the speck in another's eye and don't see the plank in our own eye. One Jewish rabbi named Tarfan saddened that people of his day would not accept correction, said, if someone said, cast out the speck from your eye, the answer would come back, cast out the log from yours. In other words, the person to whom correction was offered would defensively say, how dare you show me my sin? This is exactly what God is doing to us. This tendency to be offended by the correction of others is true of us today, and yet it is God 
that is saying we have a plank in our eyes. Jesus trains us to see the plank of sin in our own eye so that we may begin ever so carefully, ever so full of mercy to help another with the speck of sawdust in their eyes. He, he trains us to become more welcoming of others, we trust, to show us in ourselves the sin to which we are yet blind. The good news of the gospel is that the Spirit of God does show us our sin. The grace and truth of Jesus teaches us what is sin. And more and more he does so. He then brings us to the extent by which Jesus has forgiven our sin through the sacrifice of the cross. And even more by the power of the Holy Spirit expands us to live as dead to that sin and alive to Christ. As we as a community gather around Jesus, eating from his word, the Spirit of God does this work in many of us. The Spirit, using the word of God, often rebukes us. Oh, I never saw that sin in my life. He corrects us in the ways of Jesus. Wow, I never noticed that before. He trains us to be merciful. Wow, I don't know if I can do that with my colleague. Yes, Lord, empower me to do so. He, he then sends us into new places where we might reflect that our lives have been changed. Jesus said, be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. What a mercy to be shown our sin, to experience the mercy of God in Christ's sacrifice, to be trained by Jesus, to walk in the way of mercy he taught and demonstrated, to be empowered by the Spirit to practice mercy. As we come to the table of the Lord, we come saying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me, a sinner saved only by your grace. In just a moment, we'll be inviting those who will be serving communion to come to the front. But what Jesus has said in this passage is clear. And I would like to lead you in a beginning prayer and then invite you quietly to say whatever you want to say to God. But I want to say this before I lead you in prayer. Jesus did not say this for us to make excuses. Jesus did not say this for us to make excuses. Jesus calls those who don't practice this hypocrites. That is not who the children of our Heavenly Father are. We are people created in the image of God who have been shown our sin, who have been brought to the sacrifice of Christ, who are being empowered by the Holy Spirit to exercise these practices 
in our treatment of others and in how we see our own sin. Let us draw near to God through Jesus Christ who has brought us near. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, thank you for this teaching. It is true and it is holy and it is merciful and it is just and it is right. It is excellent. It is worthy of praise. O oh Lord, your standard of mercy is good. Thank you for taking upon yourself our condemnation, our forgiveness. But thank you also for changing us. And pray that you now, as each of us quietly comes to you, we pray that you will do business in us, that we might not live less of the riches of your glorious grace. Hear our quiet prayers, O Lord.